Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, we have lots of people from the UK who migrate to Australia. And uh, until recently, they're our biggest migrant group. Um, I was in Perth, uh, the Australian city, two weeks ago, and I was in a particular neighbourhood which the uh, migrant population of people from the UK is 70 to 80%. And uh, so when you talk to uh, British people who've migrated to Australia, the one thing they talk to me about is the weather <laughs> and how bad the weather is here. But I'm glad you're breaking those uh, stereotypes today. And uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Mind you, I can't talk. Back in Australia, it's actually, uh, we've got flooding and rain in Melbourne at the moment. Uh, so we're united in our terrible weather at this moment. I have a really simple goal today. My goal today is to equip you with a framework of understanding the world and understanding your faith, which I think is absolutely essential at a moment like this. Often you can get good content, but I find that actually frameworks help you think about the world. Content and information is easily forgotten. But what stays with you for years is wise, frameworks. And the framework, I just want to illustrate to you, I'm going to read a scripture in a second, but just to help you uh, understand, we live in a world where continually we are looking and interpreting the world through these little devices here. Literally, as I've just pulled it up, I'm getting a, uh, a little uh, notification from Uber Eats telling me to get pizza from near my house back in Melbourne, and I could save $3. So it could be a very long pizza delivery from Uber Eats. But that's a classic example, that it's continually competing for our attention. So on one hand, we get these silly notifications about pizza on Uber Eats, but then also we get this continual avalanche of news about the world. We are closer to everything in the world, yet seemingly further from each other all at the same time. And this is creating an entirely different dynamic for what it is to be human in the world at this moment. So the the framework I want to teach you is that we are going to continue to look at the world through these little screens that are in our pockets. We're going to continue to live in this moment. But as Christians, the skill that we need to learn, the framework that we need to pick up is that we need to look at this through not just human earthly eyes, but we need to put on our lenses, our spectacles, our glasses, and actually look at what's happening in the world through biblical eyes. And to do that, I want to take us back to one of the beginning points of the Scriptures, right at the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And what you get in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, is a word picture. It's an image. It's a metaphor. And you see, in many ways, this metaphor repeating throughout the Scriptures. So I'm just going to read it for you, and then I'll sort of take it apart. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, often we think about this, that God creates the earth at the beginning of the scriptures. We often miss that he creates the heavens and the earth. The heavens are the architectural blueprints for what God intends the world to be. It is the pattern of perfection that God wants to imprint in the world. And it hovers just above the earth. Let's read on. It says this, now the earth was formless and empty. 
So it's like a blank canvas, a piece of clay that the potter has yet to craft into something. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have this image, heaven and earth, earth unformed, deep, primal, yet to be touched, a blank canvas. And what's hovering over this sort of chaotic moment is the Spirit. Now this metaphor we will see again and again in the Scripture. Earth, sometimes broken, very often chaotic, needing heaven's touch. And at these moments of chaos and unformedness, the Spirit is always just hovering over the surface. Now, this is my second time to the UK this year. We in my city were locked down for one of the world's longest lockdowns. We like to tell people we're quite competitive in Australia with sport, so we thought we just would be world champions at lockdowns in my city. And finally, when we sort of got out and got to travel again, Trudy and I came to the UK and we got here and uh, we were at uh, wildfires and uh, the day after wildfires, uh, we went to London and we're staying in a hotel and we're about to check out. And with about an hour to, to go before we checked out, I started to feel ill, did a lateral flow test. I think you call them lateral flow tests here. We call them rats, <laughs> rapid antigen tests. So I took a rat, not a literal rat, and uh, two bars, I've got COVID, which meant I could not fly back home. So I had to stay for 10 days. So I had to work out, how do I get medical help in a foreign country? But the one thing that I discovered is that Australia and the United Kingdom have a mutual medical pact. That actually our two governments have actually signed this agreement that we can share medical help. So if you're ever in Australia and you get sick, go to the doctor uh, and you can actually get help because we have this diplomatic medical agreement between our two countries. And it's actually interesting because one thing I've learned is that British people absolutely love and continually talk about their health service, the NHS. It's like a hidden religion here. And I want to also say that, interesting, I've read an article that there was a global study of what were the world's two best health services. And Australia and the UK came at, came at equal first. So it's kind of like an ashes, but it was a draw of <laughs> medical help. But medical systems didn't just begin. There was a point when one particular individual created modern medicine as we understand it. In around the three to four hundreds BC, there was a man who lived in ancient Greece called Hippocrates. And Hippocrates took a very different view of how the human body heals. At that time, most medicine was understood that if someone had become sick or ill, or had an infection, that actually what they had done was something which had angered the gods. They'd been cursed. There was this sense that they had done something wrong. This was terribly stigmatizing if you were ill. If you became ill, you had an infection, a disease, that was not bad enough. You had then done something wrong to inflict that on you. Hippocrates creates modern medicine through realizing that actually what is going on with the human body, that the human body is a system and it goes through these different stages of healing. 
And Hippocrates, through, through viewing people when they were sick and observing them, discovered there was this point that when someone was very ill, there was this crucial turning moment when either they headed towards full recovery or death. Now, the Greek word that he sort of coined to describe that moment, which was the absolute crucial point where someone would either turn around or be heading for the grave, the Greek word he used to describe that moment was crisis. Crisis was a moment where things were about to turn in either direction. To give you the definition, it was a turning point in a disease, the change which indicates recovery or death. I think this is an absolute apt word for us at this moment. We know that we are in a crisis. Having traveled a little bit in the last few months, what I'm finding interesting is you come to a place like the UK and people are like, we're in a crisis here, we've got a cost of living crisis, we've got a political crisis. But then I talk to my friends in the US in different cities and like, we're in our crisis here, we're in a crisis in our city, people are leaving the city. I went to New Zealand recently and people talking about the political crisis that's happened there after the various protests that overtook the capital. Everywhere I talk to people in the world, at the moment there is a crisis. We just prayed for Iran, the crisis that has erupted since Masa Amini lost their life at the hands of the morality police. All across the world, there seems to be a tumbling system of cascading crises that are coming against us. Many seem to begin with COVID, which people saw would be this sort of blip, something that would happen. I remember having conversations with various leaders when COVID first started and people were saying, how long is this going to last? Like, six months, six weeks. I just read a book on the Spanish flu and I said, actually, pandemics tend to last about two years. And it was really interesting. Many leaders were like, I can't believe that it would last two years. They had not been prepared for a world where we would experience crises. But what happens with a crisis like COVID, you have a crisis like COVID, which then begins to affect this finely tuned machine of the world that we've been living in, where I can order something in my phone and somewhere in a factory in China, it gets made and then delivered to my house within a few days, that this finely tuned world where everything was set up seemingly to deliver our desires and our wants. You have something like COVID comes along, one bit breaks in the chain, and then crises go through the entire network. We have a supply chain because you have crises, hits with COVID in China and ports like Shanghai, and Hong Kong gets shut down, and that means things get delayed, and then things go throughout the system, and all of a sudden you have all these boats sitting at, this, at, at, the, at Long Beach Harbor in California, which means that you get things later, and everything begins to crash into each other. We have this moment where we go into this extended lockdown, and economists start talking about what's the solution to this, so we start doing stimuluses and paying people, which is printing money, and classically, if you've done economics at high school and you start to print and stimulate money, inevitably inflation comes. We have inflation now coming. And then you have something which happens, which has happened throughout all human history. You have a war kick off in Europe where Russia invades Ukraine 
And then we have an energy crisis going through the world, already on top of the pre-existing energy crisis that we have, as the world begins to engage with a whole series of environmental challenges that are coming at us at this point in time. Crises upon crises upon crises. We're in the midst of a cultural crisis. We're in the midst of a social crisis. We're in the midst of a geographic, geographical or geopolitical crisis. We're in the midst of an economic crisis. We're in the midst of a technological crisis. We're in the midst of a political crisis. We're in the midst of a demographic crisis. We're in the midst of an environmental crisis. We're in the midst of an infrastructure crisis. I'm gonna have a drink of water now. <laughs> I'm in a crisis that I can't open this and hold the microphone all at the same time. Peter Zeehan, the geopolitical strategist, says, what most of us have to get our heads around now is that the high point for human living and standards of living, which we may never get back to, was the year 2019. We've not been prepared for this. So we're in all those meta, big-scale crises, but also at the same time, this was happening when we were increasingly moving into personal crises. Humans are changing. The screen that I pulled out of my pocket at the beginning of this talk is rewiring our brains. We are increasingly finding ourselves with a mental health crisis at the same time. Isolation is becoming normative. The dominant household for many of the developed world's leading cities is a single-person household. We are feeling this increased vulnerability as human beings. So we're in a cultural crisis at a meta level, we're also in a personal crisis. But this is also happening at the same time that the church finds itself in a crisis as well. The pandemic illustrated my city where we could not meet barely for two years. And you come, we had a church which was flourishing. I remember the Sunday, just two weeks before we went into lockdown, we had John Mark Comer come and we did a live recording of this cultural moment. And it was just rammed at so many people. We were like, man, we're on a rocket and our church is just growing. And two weeks later, I could never have imagined that we would barely meet again for two years. We've had to re basically sort of replant. But what I find interesting, I can understand that about Melbourne, where we didn't meet for two years. But what's really struck me is I've talked to friends in places like South Dakota, where they like locked down for half an hour or something. <laughs> and they're like, you know, a third of our church didn't come back after six weeks. And what this illustrated was the church finds itself at this point where the discipleship capacity that we've been building, particularly as churches like ours, which I don't know what we call ourselves, contemporary churches or whatever, has actually hit a crisis. How do you actually disciple people in a culture like ours? The habitual and event-based church, traditional or contemporary, finds itself as a crisis because we're struggling to disciple people. Two more crises before I stop. <laughs> I mentioned we're in a demographic crisis. One of the big changes in the world, which is not going to go away anytime soon, is that we have, after World War II, particularly in the West, in countries like yours and mine, a huge generation born called the baby boomers. That's why it's a boom. Baby boomers. There were so many of them born. Soldiers had been away from uh, their wives during the war for a number of years. Nature takes its course when they return, and there are a lot of babies born. Now, this generation, in many ways, is often much maligned. 
People love to critique baby boomers. But when I look across the church, I look at people like my parents. My parents are not in ministry, but my parents really came to faith in strong faith just in that period in the 1950s, which actually was a high point for the church in your country and mine. And they followed Jesus. And my parents are the kind of people who would serve on boards. They would stand at the door and welcome people. And they would volunteer and turn up again and again. Now, not all baby boomers stayed in church, but they provided incredible volunteering, stickability, faithfulness, and they just kept turning up and serving. Now, that generation is actually at the moment of retiring or retiring in the next 10 years to the retirement village in the kingdom of God. And so we're actually going to see a shrinking population, but that's going to hit the church really significantly. And that raises questions of, is the next generation going to faithfully serve and volunteer like the baby boomer generation did? Last crisis. We are facing increased cultural antagonism. This is very true in my city. There's increasing strictures being put on us as the church, as people once who perhaps saw themselves as kinds of cultural Christians. Now look at the church, our state premier where we, uh, uh, in our state where we live in Victoria, recently made comments about the church, where the church is being framed as something which is passing and not just something which is irrelevant, but almost something which is dangerous. If this is not a crisis, all these things together. If this is not a crisis, I don't know what is. But what I want to say to you, the glasses I want to give you, is that when we understand how God works in history and we hear these crises, we need to look at this in the way that Hippocrates understood crises and the human body. This does not mean that everything bad is going to happen. Actually, when we begin to put on the biblical glasses, and see it through that word picture which I gave you at the beginning, what we have is a moment where things can turn either way. And with God, crisis is the moment that precedes renewal. But one thing, if you forget everything I say today, just remember this, crisis precedes renewal. Now, at these moments of crisis, at these moments, they're actually turning points. And at turning points, incredible things happens. No one knows which way the future is going. The future is actually open. The future that we thought we had, the story that we've been told for the last 30 years was the world was just going to progress slowly and everything was going to get smoother and your apps on your phone were going to get better and life was just going to get an inch better every day and we didn't need God. We just were going to slowly slide to a kind of utopia powered by human ingenuity and that's the story that many of us have been told but also that's the story that many of us inadvertently sort of absorbed into ourselves. And actually, it's good news that that story is being shown up for what it is, an absolute myth. Humans cannot build utopia in their own power, and the world is beginning to discover this. Those who assumed the world would simply smoothly slide to a better future in our own human power are now doubting. Now, the American missiologist George Hunter said, if you want to share the good news with someone, Look for the moment, the gaps between idols, when one idol is falling and people have not picked up another idol. 
and people's idols are being shaken at this moment. This is a crisis, but this is probably the most profound evangelistic opportunity we have lived through in the church for decades. Now, at turning points, this means that there is a shaking. There is a shaking in the institutions that our society is built upon. Authority is draining away from politics. Authority is draining away from big business. Authority is draining away from governments. Authority is draining away from sporting bodies. As our internet-driven society means that we can almost put a brighter light on all the injustices and oppression in the world, we see more, and this means authority is draining away. But this means that people begin to hunger for a true authority. People begin to look for an authority that is not of this world. When we realize that prime ministers and kings and queens and business leaders and activists and entrepreneurs and sporting stars and celebrities can't save us, we begin to hunger for what I think will be the spiritual cut-through currency of this era, spiritual authority. Spiritual authority, which is not of this world, which is intangible, but when you see it, you recognize it. So at moments like this, crisis precedes renewal. But there's an if. Crisis precedes renewal if. Just because you're having a crisis does mean, not mean you're going to get a renewal. How then do you turn crisis into renewal? As we walked in, we walked through a room back there, and in that room, it said the coal room. Now, this building obviously housed coal. In fact, this city actually really grew during that moment known as the Industrial Revolution, when what happened to Britain was that Britain discovered that under the ground, there was this power source, this power source. Once you tap a new energy source, you then can do different things. And coal, which had been sitting under the ground through this process of, of, of petrification over centuries or, or millennia of this source, once you then did that, you could have things like the steam engine, you could have industry, you could have manufacturing could grow. So this is a city that is actually built on a power source of coal. We're in the midst of an environmental crisis at the moment where we're realizing that what needs to happen is that actually the sources of energy that we look to have to change. We're in a world that's moving from oil and gas and coal to one that's moving to renewables. This is also true of Iran. Iran is a country, I think the fourth largest strategic oil reserves in the world. In many ways, the story of Iran is a country the events that lead up to 1979 in some ways can be attributed to the fact that Iran becomes a country where people begin to look to it from outside and all of the tension and turmoil happens because Iran has in its ground oil underneath the surface. The United Kingdom with a power source under the surface. Iran, a country with a power source under the surface. Crisis precedes renewal when you discover a new power source. 
this country is discovering that the power sources that it's looked to are no longer delivering. Iran is a country where the power structures and sources that people have looked to are now finding themselves under tremendous pressure. And what happens is, when you can no longer look to human sources of power, you begin to look to spiritual power. And I believe there is this opportunity in the midst of the crisis that is happening in the UK now, that is going to continue to happen through the winter. And many of the things that are contributing to this crisis are structural and are not going to go away when just the leaders change. That there is now an opportunity for the church to, in the words of Leslie Newbigin, learn to operate not from a position of strength, but actually a position of weakness. And in that position of weakness, to rediscover God's power. That actually when we are weak, that is when he is strong and he works through us. In order to discover a new kind of power source, we have to understand that God has imprinted in the world a pattern of renewal. Tim Keller says this, of that renewal. It is a consistent pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in a community to counteract the default mode of the human heart. This moment reveals that our human hearts actually too often look to ourselves, to things that are not of God, to power the world. So let's return to that image we begin with in Scripture. There is this world, this unformed earth. In many ways, this is a crisis moment. There is chaos in the world. But what is hovering over is the spirit. And when you think about that image, what that image would look like if you looked at it at that moment and you were able to go back in time at the moment just before creation, is that moment would have looked like just some unformed earth, some darkness, some chaos, some nothingness. But that was the precise moment just before creation. What looked like destruction and nothingness is actually the moment before creation. And what if this moment, through the eyes of humanity, looks like an unmitigated series of crises, but what actually if this moment is pregnant with incredible Holy Spirit potential? What if at this moment, actually over all these crises, the Spirit is actually hovering and we're not seeing it because we don't have eyes to see? And what if the church at this moment puts on biblical lenses, spiritual lenses, and can actually look at this moment different to the rest of the culture, where we can see what's happening in Iran and all the turmoil and see that God is actually shaking the kingdoms of the world, that the scriptures say in Psalm 2, that the nations rage until they kiss the ring of the Son, God's Son who will come that actually this moment hovering over it is the Holy Spirit. That as the church finds itself at a crisis point, the Holy Spirit hovers over this moment. What if you who find yourself in your own personal crisis, whatever it may be of mental health, isolation, doubts, struggles with your faith, what if actually over that the Holy Spirit is hovering and wanting to imprint you as a blank canvas, as a piece of clay, the potter's hands are waiting to need and to make you and this moment into something beautiful. Crisis precedes renewal if you are willing to surrender to him and his way.
Let's stand. The band's going to come up. And let's pray into this moment. Father, we recognise this moment. We recognise the weight of this moment. We recognise, Father, that when we look at this moment through human eyes, that it seems like a moment where we can only feel a sense of hopelessness, of lostness. But we just want to recognise too, Father, that over moments like this, all throughout history, at the moments of greatest crisis, this is precisely when you turn up. We think about that moment in the 18th century when Britain seemed to be coming apart at the seams, when the church seemed to be falling over, when society was seemingly being torn apart, that that exact moment you began to do an awakening which went across the world. And Father, we want to have the faith where we actually believe that you can turn up at moments like this. So first of all, Father, in the midst of a national, in the midst of an international crisis, Father, we want to pray and we want to recognise that your Holy Spirit hovers over this moment. And so, Father, we want to pray that in the midst of this, that you will release a new way in the world. And so we pray for your kinds of leaders, your kinds of solutions. We pray, Father, that you will come and heaven will imprint earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Second, Father, we pray for those who individually are in the midst of crisis, who have felt a sense of dislocation, of pain, of hurt in the last two years. Father, we want to just pray that people recognize the Holy Spirit is hovering over them at this moment and that there is an invitation into personal renewal. Father, we know that personal renewal often precedes corporate change. So for anyone here, Father, who feels a sense of lostness, of disconnection, Father, we want to pray that your Holy Spirit hovers over them and begins to imprint them. And Father, lastly, we just want to pray for your church at this moment. We want to pray, Father, that actually your church in this nation will be imprinted with your Holy Spirit. We pray for a new thing. I just have a sense, Father, that in this nation, people are looking back to wonderful things that happened in the past but I want to pray, Father, that we begin to look forward and that you begin to do a new thing. So, Father, I pray that the story that is told of the church in this nation, that it's inevitably just going to fade away, that is an anachronistic thing of the past. Father, we pray that you do something new. So just in this moment, just as we come to, to the next little period, I just, I just have this sense that if you have the sense that the Holy Spirit is hovering over you, if you have a sense that you want to see the Holy Spirit hovering with new glasses, we're just going to ask you to come down the front. There'll be people here to pray for you. And I feel like there's this invitation to actually move and take a step and ask God to do something different. That what this is, is reframing this moment with biblical eyes. So if you need to put on new kinds of lenses, whatever that is for, the, the meta crisis, the personal crisis, the crisis in the church, just invite you to come forward to be prayed for and to get those new kinds of glasses. So, yeah. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.